Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Blaze Radio Network. And now, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. Serial killers. I have a fascination with them, I admit. And apparently, I'm not the only one. Welcome. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. All right, today we're going to be talking to Ann McInerney. She is the host of Serial Killer, a true crime podcast from Unreported Story Society. It is about Dr. Kermit Gosnell. Now, you know Anne. We've talked to her on this broadcast before. We've talked to her husband who produces this podcast, uh, Phelan Mackler. So, uh, you know, I'm going to have to ask her a little bit about what's happening with my son, Hunter, and uh, what's going on with the movie. But first and foremost, I wanted to talk about uh, the podcast, Serial Killer, a true crime podcast. Uh, and where we're going to meet Dr. Kermit Gosnell. I've listened to the first couple of episodes. It is awesome. And it re- it's really fascinating uh, because they interview uh, the different characters, but they're not characters. They're real-life individuals uh, that surrounded this man, this evil dirtbag, uh, Kermit Gosnell. And what's most uh, fascinating about this podcast is that you get to hear from Dr. Kermit Gosnell himself and find out exactly what kind of man this guy is. He has this arrogance, he has this narcissism, loves to talk about himself. And basically, you know, uh, you know, we started getting in touch with him in prison and then he just phones all the time. And not only phones, but sends letters. So it's, wow. um, yeah, it's incredible, really, really extraordinary. And he has this amazing demeanor. You know, you imagine someone in prison, you know, you'd, you would imagine, I don't know, a certain, I don't know, a certain demeanor. And it's certainly not the demeanor you get when you meet Gosnell. He's, no. he, you know, he has this soft voice. He talks like he's at a cocktail party. It's really chilling, actually. And then, and then to hear the way he talks about what he did. It, it really is. Um, it's really quite extraordinary. And, that it, it, you know, if, if you were to listen to the podcast for nothing else, other than to hear this guy, it is really, really extraordinary. I found, you know, look, I've worked in, in uh, you know, in radio and TV now for a, for a long time. And you think I'd learned my lesson with people never look like they sound. Yeah. Uh, but I was amazed that he does not sound like he looks. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. I, I was I was like, that's him. <laughs> I, mean, I actually went back and started looking at pictures of him yeah. while you were interviewing him because I was like, that can't be him. Yeah, and he's huge, you know, physically. Yeah, you're right, because he's this really tall, imposing, you know, African-American man, you know, and then he has this like soft, mellifluous voice. He's really articulate, um, particularly articulate when you get him talking about himself. But if you ask him a hard question, he gets suddenly you know, a case of the verbal constipations and says, right. you know, and says things like, and he'll, his head will drop and he'll say, oh, oh, you know about that. You know, really, it's, I mean, quite extraordinary. And when I met him in prison, like he touched my leg continuously, um, but then apologized. But he was, he knew exactly what he's doing. He's highly manipulative. Right. And when you realize the people, and we've interviewed a lot of them for the podcast, people who worked in the clinic, 
you know, he he targeted people to work there who were, you know, had sixth or seventh grade education, were barely literate. And I don't mean that, you know, I'm not, you know, denigrating anyone, but this is who he targeted. These are people who Jim Wood said you wouldn't let them mow your lawn. And they were giving anesthesia to these very poor minority people and, and, and killing them. Okay, so before we get into episode one, now you've got how many how many episodes do we have to uh, do we have? We have for... six. So we have six episodes, and okay. people can find it. You know, if anyone's listening right now, they can they can they can find it right now by going to serialkillerpod.com. Serialkillerpod.com. That's where that's where you can find all the episodes. Fantastic. Um, we're, we're dropping them like we're not going to drop them all at the one time. So at the moment, there's one episode available. The next episode will be available in a couple of days. So yeah, we're going to kind of drip feed oh, people. So it's not uh, even a. I don't even have to wait a week. No, I, I, uh, it'll be. Right. It, it's on. It's oncoming. <laughs> all right, then maybe I won't beg to hear them early. So, so I was fascinated by, um, the, all, I mean, the interviews with him in the first episode and was incredible. And, and in the second episode as well, since I've made it through that, but you, the interviews that you have with, uh, the detectives and the people that worked with them, were they all willing to talk to you? I mean, were they ready to hang this guy out to dry? And they weren't. It didn't seem like they were hanging them out to dry. They were just talking a matter of factly, right? Yeah. No, they were happy. No, they were very happy to talk to us. I mean, um, you know, we, you know, over the years, because we've been working on the story for so long, we know a lot of these characters very, very well. Detective Jim Wood, who's most responsible for putting Gosnell behind bars forever, um, is, a, is a wonderful, is just a wonderful human being. And Christine Wexler, who you also heard from. Um, Steve Doherty, who I think is an amazing person to talk to. He's from the, he's from the DEA, from the Drug Enforcement um, Authority, okay. really an extraordinary voice, but also people from the jury. We talked to people from the jury and, you know, and people who were who were in the clinic and who were victims, if you like. Um, you know, it's yeah, some people aren't willing to talk to you. And, you know, you can sometimes have that. But actually, we're really happy that everyone we wanted to talk to was was eventually willing to talk to us, which That's was awesome. great. So if you, you really get a sense of the color and the, the depth of this thing by, by hearing all these different voices. Right. Well, I was, I was really surprised that uh, how this all started, you know, how we ended up getting this evil guy off the streets. Yeah. Was uh, what didn't have anything to do with him killing babies or, you yeah. know, it didn't have anything to do with that. They totally. were, they were trying to break some kind of drug ring down. Yeah. And, and that part of it, I think is really interesting for people. You know, a lot of people really love true crime, including myself. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that that stuff and having the tape recordings of the actual drug deals that Jim Wood was doing with his partner, Gramlich, like the two of them would be, and I mean, just even the color of the, of the stories that they would be like, making these drug deals and they had to get the money off the FBI because the money, you know, is quite a lot of money, maybe $600 for a bunch of these prescriptions. And, you know, they would be phoning like, so they would be doing a drug deal and then say, then they had to, and it's incredible. They, they do give the money to the drug dealer in these situations because they have to draw them in, right. they have to get their trust. And then they get, you know, because obviously they're looking for the, for the, for the kingpin who's in charge, who's the guy writing the prescriptions. So, you know, and they're, you know, doing these deals with these various drug dealers. And I mean, it's really funny. And then they'll they'll have no money and you'll hear them on the tape saying things like, you know, 
yeah, this bastard, you know, give, you know, he owed me money and he wouldn't give me the money. If you could just, and actually asking the drug dealer, you know, would you, can you give me a Bible this week? Can you, can we, you know, can you give me the drugs anyway? And you know, I'm good for it. You know, I'm good for it. You know, right. and, and, and to realize, you know, and again, all of that comes up to through these drug deals, a kind of extraordinary, you know, how, yeah, how these, how, how, how the whole thing operates. But the, one of the funny, I think, I, to me, it was quite funny or, or chilling or extraordinary or dramatic. Right. The moment where the moment where, where Jim Wood um, and Gramlich are talking to the drug dealer and they say, look, you know, you said you'd you said you'd introduce us to the to the doctor who's writing the scripts. What's his name? And you hear the voice, you hear the voice of the drug dealer saying Gosnell. And and, and then you hear the voice of, of Gramlich saying Darnell. And then it's G-O-S and, and and spelling it out. And you're thinking of that moment and what that moment meant and what that started. It, extraordinary. Right. Right. So then, you know, after we realized that, uh, you know, we are, we're going into the uh, Gosnell House of Horrors, we didn't really realize it was a house of horrors uh, until we got in there. Right? Yeah. I mean, they were, they were going in for the drugs. Sure. And yeah. then they realized, what is this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that has just got to be horrifying. Yeah, and I think exactly, exactly as you say, they were like, they had no idea of what they were going to meet when they went in there. And it was the evening. It was eight o'clock in the evening. They were all waiting. Gosnell had been working this other abortion clinic that he had in Delaware. He arrives. They jump out of their cars. They say to him, look, we've got a search warrant for these premises. He's there and he's got like a takeaway. He's got like a like a his <laughs> teriyaki takeaway in one bag. And in another bag, he's got this like bunch of clams and they, they're like, and he's got, again, with the super, super quiet voice and all this, he allows them in and they all, you know, had the same reaction. The first thing that hit them, the very first thing that hit them was the smell. And these were hardened. These are like, these aren't young guys. These are guys who've been on the force for 20 years, 30 years, have seen everything. Philadelphia isn't exactly Disneyland. You know, this was, these guys, right. had, seen, these guys had seen the worst of humanity and this took them completely by surprise. They, they, they were like completely stunned. And then to sort of see the cats and the cat feces, and then for Gosnell to say, you know, you guys, can you just hang on a moment here? Because what I need to do right now is I just need to feed these turtles. And so then you have this like, almost like literally it's out of like a horror movie where they, where he then opens this box and they're like, all these cops are there with their mouths open thinking, what the hell are we looking at here? And he bangs these clams together and feeds these turtles as his first priority. Um, and then, you know, and then it goes bizarre from bizarre to bizarre. They go, you know, they obviously, it's a very large contingent of law enforcement went in there that night. There was the DEA, there was the Philadelphia cops and also the DA's office, which was Jim Wood's thing. And so they're like, they're spread out all over the place. They're separating the workers. They're gotten, getting to hear these incredible stories. And then they're searching the place and finding, you know, in one case, finding um, in a room where, where people were having their like lunches and had their peanut butter and jello right. samples, they're finding this row upon row upon row of these little jars with babies' feet that have been cut off. Oh. And, you know, I mean, you know, this is, this, this, you know, if you think of all of the crime shows you've ever watched, and I've watched like a ton of them, you know, this is like right up there. Like this is right up there with, you know, Silence of the Lambs, basically, in sure terms is. of scariness. 
And then, you know, for them to have the next thing, which, you know, just to say that, you know, then, you know, Gosnell is asked, oh, there's a procedure you have to do, you know, and whatever. And he runs off and then and they're still continuing with their investigation. He comes back very shortly afterwards wearing bloody gloves that are torn and he takes out the the, seri, the, ter, the salmon teriyaki and starts eating the salmon teriyaki. And I think the thing that I one of my favorite one of my favorite moments from this whole thing because the humanity in this thing is so amazing. One of my favorite moments is where Jim Woods looked at me like straight in the face, not joking, and said, "You know, Jason Huff, that was the guy from the FBI, young, real cool guy from the FBI. You know, Jason Huff can't eat salmon since then." And I was like looking at him. Oh like, wow. I mean, this is like, yeah, I bet he can't, <laughs> you know. It's but, just uh, amazing. So has he, in your talks with him, and obviously we may get to that in the uh, in the remaining episodes of uh, Serial Killer, a true crime podcast from Unreported Story Society. And if you go to... SerialKillerPod.com SerialKillerPod.com right Subscribe, you'll get all the episodes for free, yes. And uh, you need to be sure to subscribe to that. Uh, we'll find out, d- does he ever, uh, throughout the trial and uh, throughout all your interviews, does he ever say, ever admit to, yeah, I was killing all these babies and I was selling drugs to all these people on the street, writing scripts because I needed more cash. Was it all just about the money? Was it about killing the babies? What was it about for this guy? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think greed definitely plays a big part. I mean, when they did the raid on his house, they found over $250,000 in cash. In the uh, who house. doesn't have that laying around? Yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. Sure, we've all been there, right? He owned 17 homes. He had a home, you know, down at the coast. Like, wow. money certainly was part of it, but I think there was a power trip going on as well. And I think, you know, we know from the story, he was, he's a racist and that's going to sound really weird, right? Because he's this African-American who's racist uh, toward African-Americans. Yeah. Because we know in the clinic that the women, the poor women and the African-American women were treated, had different uh, different facilities to the white women. So white women had a nicer room upstairs with all kinds of nice things. Um, and the rest of the place was just this complete hellhole, which was good enough for them. You know, it's, you know, I think there's, it's it's very hard to, to know. But I think there's a power thing. There's a money thing. Um and I, he's a very, very disturbing, he's a very disturbing character. Yeah, I mean, well, he's an evil man. <laughs> yeah. And you ask about, does he admit to stuff? Like, there's a very interesting moment, and we have it on tape, where he basically admitted to writing the scripts. And it's a very bizarre exchange. I mean, it's kind of funny. But basically, he sort of says, well, you know, you know, when there's a recession, you know, when it's like economic, you know, people have to try to make money some way. Right. <laughs> You're right. So he kind I of. Mean, like, he's right. Yeah, but yeah, but I think writing prescriptions for opioids that are going to kill people is not the ideal way to help out during a recession. And there's also a moment in episode six, actually, which I really got hang in there for episode six. There is an extraordinary moment that I thought was really, really chilling. And it was it happened like only a few months ago. You know, we've been talking to him for hundreds and hundreds of hours, as I said. And he basically he basically admitted to doing what he did. He basically admits that, yes, the babies were born alive and I cut their necks with scissors and I did it to put them out of their misery. Like he basically says a version of that and it's extraordinary, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, this guy is, I mean, you know, if he talks long enough, of course, that's the thing. He's going to get himself into trouble and he's going to tell the truth eventually, but he, but he is clever. He is very, very clever um, and very creepy. 
So he's in in prison now for ever. I mean, what, what was yeah, the final? So, three, so yeah, I, I love the way America does this. By the way, I think I don't know if every country in the world does this, but he's got three life sentences. Okay. Plus, no, but plus, I love this plus. You know, plus twenty years for the drug offences. Um, just in case the three life sentences That's aren't right. quite enough, you know. And he's in Huntington Prison in Pennsylvania. You know, it's. Um, it's a chilling, it's a chilling environment. I've been there, um, and of course, rather naively, because I watch so many true crime shows, I thought he would, I would be talking to him behind the plexiglass, like you see in all, in all our, in all yeah. the books. But he's right across from the table, but he, right? right across from you, right yeah. there, you know, um, and moved his, was able to move his chair, had the ability to do that, to move his chair, and he put his chair right up against me, on front of me, and his legs on both sides. Of course of he did. My legs. Of course he did. Really, yeah. really, really creepy. And those are the kind of things, sadly, you've got to do if you want to get the interview, right? I mean, it yeah. has to happen. You can't absolutely. say, dude, back off me. I want the interview. I know. Yeah, absolutely. And then at the end of the interview, and I remember what we like, I was there for about three hours, you know, at the end of the, I remember he just got, he, at the very end, he got kind of disgusting and was trying to, you know, trying to unnerve me with stuff. And I remember thinking, you know what, I've got enough right now. And I said, you know, that's it. We're out of here. And, uh, he then he kind of looks yeah, and it's so good. funny. He says, "Are you gonna buy? Are you gonna buy me some treats?" Like like he literally says, "Are you gonna buy me some treats?" I'm like, "Like what do you mean?" And of course, there are these vending machines in the visitors' room, and yeah. the prisoners are not allowed to use the vending machines, so the visitors then have to buy them. So I thought, "Oh, you know what? I'll buy him a treat." So you know, I got him some cheese. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. I know, that's but so that's nice kind of me. That's uh, that's just me, and I'm all heart when it comes to serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> I need this guy to keep talking to me, you know. So, uh, yeah. Ed McInerney, uh, host of uh, Serial Killer, the True Time Crime podcast uh, about uh, Kermit Gosnell. Uh, fascinating. I really, I really enjoyed uh, the first couple episodes that are up at SerialKillerPod.com. So, uh, you are also involved in another project uh, with your husband. Uh, Fela Mackler, and uh, on a film called My Son Hunter, of which we've talked to Fela and you about uh, a few times on this show. And uh, before I let you go, uh, I know that I'm, you've been working on this podcast, and I know you've you know been busy on other things. But where the hell is my movie? What's yeah. going on? Yeah, what, exactly. what, are we missing? Are we put too much no, on no, the floor? No. Are we trying to tape it back together? What's happening? <laughs> Uh, we have a fabulous movie um, that is complete. Uh, the, the, the editing only ended quite recently, by the way. Um, it looks great. It sounds great. And it's coming at you very, very soon. I can't give you any specifics, but honestly, just hang on. Watch this space. But the film is, is really, it's entertaining. It's gorgeous to look at. And it's chilling. It's scary when you realize the level of corruption of the Bidens. Um, it's really powerful. Oh We're really yeah. lucky with the performance. We have Gina Carano. We have Lawrence Fox, you know, John James, and obviously directed by Robert, the great Robert Davi. Um, it's, it's, we're excited. I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone on the conservative side has ever seen anything quite like this. Because, you know, if you, you know, you've been around long enough to have watched enough conservative movies. I mean, you probably, you know, <laughs> right. And so, you know, quite often the lighting isn't great. You know, the, the performances maybe aren't great. Right. And also everything is very parental guidance, right? It's all very yes. PG and all that. I have to warn everyone, we're we're making this movie about Hunter Biden. There's no way we're going to be able to do, you know, PG-12 or 14 or 16 or the rest. Right. Yeah, um, no so it's it's a grown up. It's a grown up movie about a very grown up topic. And it's uh, very important. And it's going to be out very soon because well, I mean, 
to know that's good that's very good to hear i mean but it has to happen because without knowing what kind of uh you know drug addicted sex addicted madman hunter is mm-hmm. you don't realize what else is going on if you were to just brush by that yeah you lose that whole dirt baggedness i know i'm i'm I, i'm glad to hear that yeah. uh, it's close and, you know, as you say, like, as you say about like the drug addicted, you know, as, as Irish people, we can't say anything much about drug addiction or alcoholism, <laughs> right? Because we kind of invented that and exported it successfully yeah. around the world. So, you know, we're, we're very sympathetic, actually, to people with addiction issues. And this movie isn't, a, a, you know, an opportunity to, to, to you know, to, 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 give a, to give Hunter Biden a hard time for his addiction. It is an opportunity, however, to ask these extraordinary questions and to look at this guy who is drug addicted and has alcohol issues and is and at the same time is getting $83,000 a month for five years from an energy company in Ukraine and you have to ask why would that be the case why would anyone be asking this guy who is you know according to himself according to his own book you know according to him you know he didn't sleep for weeks on end and you're meant to think that that guy was giving a a valuable contribution to the board of Burisma and you know the (laughs) truth is he was he was um, and we all know what that contribution was. And it wasn't um, in the intellect of, of Hunter Biden. It yeah, was no he had what they call the big guy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's we're, we're very excited about the movie. We're very excited to share it with everyone. And it'll be coming at you very soon. Cannot happy think for right now. All right. Fine. <laughs> uh, I'll be sure to uh, listen to each and every episode of Serial Killer, a true crime podcast. Uh, about Kermit Gosnell, you and can if you uh, could go. get people, get people, please subscribe. It's free. Please download the episodes and leave a review. The reviews are really important because we we want to be right up there. We want to be in the top ten true crime con- true crime podcasts everywhere. Um, so yeah, people, you know, the really helpful thing to do is subscribe and leave a review. That'd be so great. And I could subscribe at at. SerialKillerPod.com. SerialKillerPod.com. Thank you so much. And McElroy, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on Chewing the Fat today. I love it. Thanks for me. Talk soon. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.